Are you ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly. This is the podcast where we talk about how to craft a writing career and living the writer's life and get ready. We're talking to agents today, kind of like the Oz behind the curtain of publishing. We're going to learn about all of that today with Kate McKean. She is the vice president of Howard Moorheim Literary Agency, and she's a writer herself and a writing professor at New York University in the School of Professional Studies, teaching about agents and publishing and all of that. So this is great because we're going to get both sides of it from the writer side and the agent side. And listen, we talk about all the time on this show, if you are going to publish, if you want a career, a sustainable career as a working writer, you got to know the business side of it. So it's important to listen up. Do I think agents are impossible? No, I've had a couple in my life. And I didn't even wear them out, so it's all fine. But we ought to understand what they need to do their job and their business so that we can do ours better. We're going to get into it with Kate today. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We start every show the same way with the daily. Mine today does not look that much like writing. I will talk to you. I am revising a chapter in my novel. I am also writing a concept statement for a nonfiction book proposal I'm working on and trying to really get that description of this entire book I'm proposing down to a couple of paragraphs or a single page of tight writing. So that's that's where I'm spending my time. It's more writing heavy today than usual, but it's more the the business end. I'm not creating a bunch of new, new work today. What are What is your daily schedule looking like, Kate? Uh, well, I try to get up early to write. I'm kind of a morning person, so that works for me. Um, so I try to get out of bed as close to 6.15 as I can and have some coffee and then come to my computer and write. And I'm working on a novel and I can usually get 800 to 1,000 words out in the morning uh, before my kid needs breakfast um, or the whatever the chore is I have to do in the morning. I, I'm a fast writer and um, and then a slow reviser. So it, it all balances out in the end. And I work from a pretty detailed outline. So if I have that outline done, then I don't have to think about in the morning what I have to do. Um, so then I have to uh, do my the morning routine of, you know, getting a kid off to school and all those kind of things. And then I sit down at the same desk <laughs> in my house um, with my agent hat on. And I usually make a pretty detailed um, to-do list because I really like to check little things off and little boxes. Um, and I use pretty notebooks, it makes me happy. And then I just kind of have to go through the, all the silly things I had to do today. I have to do some preparation for my vacation next week, which I'm very excited about. Um, I have a list of names of just the clients of stuff I have to do. Um, I wrote my newsletter this morning. I'm going to work on um, an article I'm writing for poets and writers that's due next week. And uh, this Zoom is on my list. And I had to buy my kid, uh, oh, the Easter Bunny had to come. Um, so I had to do some of those. And then, um, and hopefully after this, I will sit in a cozy chair right next to my desk and read 
manuscripts and proposals that I should probably should have read a couple of weeks ago um, to try and catch up. And that's that's a, an average day for me. And those are the dailies. You do have a really uh, a really balanced mix of both your roles, plus you're uh, a mother and you've got that going on too, which adds a whole other dimension to the job. You know, I, I think there's this misconception out here with new writers that writers just sit and write all the time and agents just sit and read all the time. And, and it's right. It, what you're saying is no, you're, you're checking the boxes on a whole lot of tasks that make those other two things possible then. Yeah. I mean, there are many things on this list that I should be doing. There's a contract I need to review. There's data I need to enter into things. There's editors I need to call. There's queries I need to read. So this is just a slice of what I get to do today. And then tomorrow it will be different. And I try to segment my writing life, uh, at least my like kind of fiction, personal writing life away from my work life, because I need to put on a different hat and I need to not think about it um, for a little while. And I need to do it in the morning when I'm not getting a lot of emails or texts or whatever. Um, and so that works for me to do it in the morning. I am not a night person. I cannot do it at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and then I do a lot of other writing as, as an agent with my newsletter called Agents and Books. And I'm asked to write articles every once in a while. So that that bleeds together a little bit in a way that I like, actually, because I get to put on a lot of different hats. Well, Agents and Books on Substack is a fantastic newsletter, and it's actually where I ran into. I love it. Um, so listeners, you. you should go check that out. And I've got one there also where we'll link to Kate and her work, too. You can find mine at Simply Write on Substack. And that's a great forum to read a lot of great writing, but also really learn inside out about the writing business. So, Kate, what comes first for you? Are you a writer or are you an agent? If you had to pick one or are they symbiotic? Do you need do you need them both to do both well? Um, I'm probably an agent first because I haven't made I haven't had a book deal yet for my own stuff. Okay. And that not that you need to have a book deal to be a writer. But like, I, I write all the time. I write, I write fiction and I write nonfiction and I'm a writer. Yes. You know, but if it's as part of my job, I'm an agent right now. And I plan to be an agent forever. If my clients are listening, no, I am not going to leave <laughs> basically ever. Um, but I'm also working towards the professional side of writing. So I don't know, I guess, um, I guess it's a context thing. Like who am I, who I'm talking to about? you know, what, who, who am I? I'm probably an agent, writer, writer, agent. I don't know. Well, it's kind of neat. You can do both. I wonder if it's hard to be an agent when you're a writer yourself, because you know how hard the writing can be and you know how hard it is to make good stuff. I think it, I think that being an agent has made my writing life easier just because I've seen it. I've seen it happen and not happen so many times that uh -huh. it makes me definitely less precious about the work in a way. It's like, okay, well, I've written plenty of things that have not sold lots and, and, and I don't have any special in, you know, like I, it's not like I can just call up my friend and get a book deal, you know, like, believe me, I've tried. It, it does not work <laughs> like that. And, and, and so then I have my own agent and I, know what he's saying when he's saying what he's saying you know and it it really helps me in perspective keep my work in perspective keep moving when things are really slow and and have a lot of give myself a lot of grace um just because i've seen it i've just seen this happen over and over again selling things not selling things writing query letters i had to write a query letter once too yeah 
Yeah, I, I like that weird. idea of grace. Really, we, we all could use that because you can write a brilliant piece and it may still not end up at the right place at the right time, right? So grace yeah. is, is a good thing. We do the work because because we're writers and we do the work. And uh, yeah. um, But it's also hopeful when you've seen it happen time and time again and made it happen for others too. That's kind of fun part of the job to say, yes, we're going to do this. Yeah. And it, and it makes me, um, it sometimes quells the imposter syndrome or the doubt and things like that and be like, no, actually my agent likes this thing. It's, it, you know, or this editor said this nice thing, or I believe in this part, or I think it'll work, you know, and it, just having a bird's eye view of things has, has kind of helped both the professional and the kind of the emotional side of things. Are, were you a big reader? Is that how you landed in agenting? How did, how did that part of the business take off? It's funny. I've uh, always been a reader. My whole family is basically readers. Um, there's just, it's just always been books. Like I, I never wanted to do anything else. I didn't want to be an astronaut or whatever. Um, I just knew I wanted to work in books and I figured I would be a writer. You know, when you're like 18, you figure, oh, I'm going to write a million novels. And then, well, you know, <laughs> it, life happens. Um, and so when I was in undergrad at the University of Florida, my incredibly smart sister, Erin McKeon said, I'm pretty sure you don't want to be like a high school English teacher with your English degree. So why don't you go get an internship at the University Press of Florida, which is the University Press for the, my um, my undergrad of college. And so I was like, yeah, you're smart. I'm going to do what you say. Um, and I did. And I was an intern and I just filed things and I did all the intern things. But my really fantastic boss at the time, um, Meredith Fab, said, oh, read this newsletter. It just came out. It just started. And it was called Publishers Lunch, and uh, which is an offshoot of Publishers Marketplace, which is a big industry newsletter, which you may have heard about. And I, this will tell you how long ago this was, because like this, this was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and I learned about all the sides of publishing. I didn't understand any of it when I started reading, but I just started reading it because it came to my inbox at, at, at this place. And I started hearing about like literary agents. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That sounds good. It suits my personality. I'm very outgoing. I like to talk to people. I like to be in charge. And I knew also that um, I I wouldn't necessarily have to live in New York City my whole life as an agent. I figured I'd move there for a while, you know, establish myself and then move to another city. Because I even then, even when I was like 19, I understood that um, it could be a job that was from everywhere. And I then was living in the South and I did not want to move back to New York. I'd gone to New York for high school and I did not like it. And here we are 20 <laughs> years later, still live in Brooklyn. Um, so that part is literally true. It just didn't like play out that way in my life. Um, so I ended up working at the University Press of Florida through my college career and for a year after. And then I went to graduate school for my MFA in fiction writing at the University of Southern Mississippi. And halfway through that, I was in workshop. Uh, with my lovely, lovely colleagues. And I was like saying, why are you writing this? Who's going to buy it? What are you going to do with your life after this? And it wasn't extraordinarily helpful or welcome. Um, and I apologize to all of my friends in grad school. Um, <laughs> but I was looking at the practical side of things and being like, there's two jobs out for us. What are we going to do? And this was before 2008. So, and the recessions, plural. So, I graduated early. I packed all my things in my car and I drove to New York City from Mississippi. And wow. I eventually got 
a job as an assistant to a bunch of literary agents at that shared office space. And then a couple of years later, I was hired at Distel and Goderich before it is now Distel and Goderich and Brett and Michael Brett is my lovely agent. Um, and, and then a couple of years after that, I joined Howard Morheim and that was 17 years ago. Wow. It's so interesting mm -hmm. to me how things take shape because I think it's, we have to have a little faith that if we're putting our nose to the grindstone, as my dad would say, and keeping our head down and doing the work that things are going to kind of evolve in a way that we can't see, but it will happen, right? I tell writers that all the time. Well, finish something and then let's talk about your agent and, and let's talk, but, but do your end of it, hold up your end of it. And then the rest of the universe sometimes takes hold for us. So, um, and agents, you know, quite a reputation you people have, right? As the, as the gatekeepers <laughs> for all of us, surely writers who are trying to get published. What do you think writers are not understanding or, or what would you like us to know that maybe we don't think about that would make your job easier? On one hand, there's a real practical side of it. Maybe this is a through line in my uh, life and job, but like, this is a business. Like publishing is a function of capitalism <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that traffics in art and that it makes it very hard. Um, but I am a person whose job it is, is to sell books and I make money that way to pay my rent and feed my children. And that is the, the gross top level you know, like very businessy definition of my job. And then I also get to use that. Uh, I don't really want to say power because I can't really make anything happen, but I can in my job foster art, but only so far as I can actually pay my rent and yeah. I work on commission. And so I, if I don't sell books, then I can't pay my rent. So um, there's a, I wish I could take on 5 billion people like that. That And it, I wish I could take on everybody who deserves to be published, but publishing isn't about deserve as much as it should be. Uh, and there are gross inequities in it, like just bar none. But I, I am a, just a human who's doing a job and it's not personal. I'm not like rejecting people for fun <laughs> and I'm not gatekeeping for fun. And I, I'm not, even I'm trying to take my personal feelings about a lot of things out of it. I mean, I do have to like something because I have to work with it for three years. And so I'm not going to like make my professional life unpleasant to do a book, even if I think I could sell it. Um, but it's because somebody else can, hmm. I don't have to do every book because somebody else can. And so I have to take into consideration my personal, um, qualifications and energies and time and also the market what I think people want or need and then the art art too mm -hmm. which is very hard I think that's impossible I think it it's so um because yes, we're, we're, but I tell writers this too, like I've been a magazine writer for a long time and, and I've also published books, but in magazine, my personality 
doesn't matter. I, I can be a nice person and that's never going to sell an article. I can write for an editor a hundred times. And if I still send them an article they can't use because it's not right for their market or their readers, then I haven't done my job. They're not going to publish me no matter how great we are together. You know, I, and I think it's important for the writers who want a sustainable career. Like if you want to write a book for your kids or you want to think of this as when you have time, do that. I think that's great. I think writing is useful no matter, but if you want to publish, you need to know the business because you're not going to sell a book just because you're a nice guy. I hope, you know, yeah. it has to be artful, but it also has to be a sensitive to the market and what people are reading and what the world needs. And that's why I think agents are super important because you can figure that stuff out. I, I can do the good writing and then you can tell me, oh, this isn't the market time for it. This isn't going to sell right yeah. now or whatever. It's impossible yeah. to understand all those things, I think. And we don't have any crystal balls. Like I can think that we can sell something and send it out and everybody's like, yeah, I don't think so. And that happens plenty of times. I wow. do not have, I, I don't advocate for people to ask agents what their batting average is. Like how many books have you sent out and how many have you sold? Because, you know, I had, I sold a book a couple months ago that had been out for like a year and a half. Hmm. And so when when do you, when did I say it was in play or out of play? You know, it's just like not a very good metric and every book has a different life. And some books you send out and it's very clear right away in within a couple of months or something that somehow we have miscalculated. Oh, interesting. And it, you never know. You don't know. Like maybe you thought you were the first one to market about this really hot idea, blah, blah, blah. And then you realize that you're about 27 deep, you know, like, like 27 people had this idea before you, which is kind of one reason I don't think people should chase trends or say oh i'm gonna get a book about big fancy thing that's happening right now and you know in politics or art or whatever and i just I, I i'm not throwing my hat into that ring very often because you don't know what else is out there mm -hmm. um but i uh, yeah sometimes we don't sell things no. and and the, and I, I can't really do anything about that. You know, I can only use my experience and my expertise and my gut instincts and my, you know, knowing the right editors. That's interesting. I got lots more I want to talk about when we come back on Simply Write with Polly. We're going to ask Kate to put on our agent hat again and, and tell us what we need to keep in mind when we're submitting our work to an agent and we'll go from there we'll be right back on simply write with polly on the creators network of electrocast life is hard but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier hi my name is blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast.
And we are back on Simply Write with Polly. I'm talking with Kate McKean today, and she is an agent and writer, and we're getting into the business of it. Because if you want to create a writing career, you're going to need to know the business of it. And the people who have helped me most of my life have been great editors. There's a lot of editors I've worked with. The good ones will really transform your career if you're paying attention. And agents, because they have their ear to the ground in ways that I don't understand about markets and trends, what people are reading, what people want to read, and whether your work is good enough to make it art in the marketplace, which I think is a really interesting balance. What strikes you when you read a piece, Kate? What what hits you to keep reading? What What is something we should do on the very first page? Uh, two things that, that kind of keep me reading um, are things you can't actually plan. <laughs> so there isn't Love any that. like, okay, well, you have to start with dialogue or you have to start with the inciting incident or you have to do this and that and the other. Uh, there aren't any rules that, that are really like that because if there were, then we would have one kind of book and it wouldn't be hard to get a deal because you would just do the thing and then you would get a book. Yeah, do the thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so I want to forget I'm reading a query or a submission and I want to have an idea of who I would send it to. Like when I start thinking, oh, this would be great for so-and-so, that's when I know, that's when I start to think, I okay, I, I might have something here when I'm thinking about a specific person. But what the writer can do is just write their book. Like don't write somebody else's book. Don't write the book you think that will sell. Don't, and I guess this can be a little skewed to fiction. Um, and I'll talk about nonfiction in a second because it can be very different, but you know, I don't, if, if someone's telling you vampires are hot, that means that there are already vampires on the, on the market. And those books were written two years ago or three years ago and sold a year ago. And so you are behind. You cannot catch the vampire market. So c come show me what else you've got. Like, show me the thing I don't know I need. Um, and I know that that is absolutely useless advice. I know that you cannot sit down and be like, I'm going to write the thing Kate doesn't know she needs yeah so you have to write your thing and and show me why it's great so that I can fall in love with it and then you will have written the book that you love and hopefully it gets published and then everybody's happy <laughs> and because there's nothing worse than writing a book you do not want to write it's hard enough to do that like don't write a book you don't want to write I think that uh, is no. huge advice because because, and you touched on it being an agent. If you, when you pick a book, you got to live with it for a long time and take it through many process. Same with a writer. Don't write the book you don't want to write because you're going to revise that thing 50 times. You're going to live with, and then you're going to pass it on to others and editors and agents and publishers and live with it enough. And then it's going to be out in the world forever. <laughs> so yeah. write the book you don't like. If you don't want to write about dragons and you don't want to talk about dragons and don't write about it, don't write about dragons. You're going to talk about dragons for like three years. Yeah. It's yeah. not great. But I will say, I want to add about nonfiction. Yeah. You know, you can write the book that you want to write in nonfiction. You know, like, okay, well, I had this illness and I survived and I want to tell people. Or I had this, I went through this experience and I have to tell people. And that's great. Or, you know, I have solved dieting and I'm going to tell you how to do it or whatever the thing is. That is great, but you are coming from it from your point of view. You have to look at it from the reader's point of view. What are you doing for the reader? Why does the reader care? What problem is a reader? What problem does a reader have that they are going into a bookstore that your book will solve? And do they want it in book form? 
ads. I see mm. a lot of things that are just an ad, just a magazine article or a listicle. And it doesn't mean they are not important or not, um, you know, world changing. They're just not the thing people look for, for in a book. Yeah. I think that's in that, that's a trap I ran into early in my career. Cause I wrote predominantly magazine articles and everything was an idea. Right. And when mm-hmm. I started thinking of conceptualizing my first book, um, there were a couple of topics I was super interested in individually. I really wanted to write that that piece, but one in particular, it couldn't sustain a book. It it, it didn't need a book. It, it needed a podcast and it needed a bunch of articles that I wrote and other things. So I think that's an important because as a writer, it's really easy to get hung up and excited about an idea, but if it's an idea you want to publish, you have to find the avenue that is best for the idea, best for the piece, not necessarily what you want to do as a writer at that moment. How do you get your writers? Are you truly taking things over the transom? Are people sending you stuff all the time? Or are you cultivating your own and, and seeing things out there that you're going to look at and, and calling that writer in to see what else they have? It's really changed over the course of my career. When I was a new agent, um, I was definitely out there like kind of pounding the internet pavement um, and reading articles and magazines. And, you know, this was a long time ago, so there were lots more blogs, like independent blogs, um, and reaching out to people. Hi, have you ever thought of writing a book? And, and a lot of my clients came that way, and I was open for queries. I've been closed for queries for a little while, for a while. Um, and so I'm getting fewer that way, except for people send them to me all the time anyway, uh, which is not a good idea. I would just send no, them back and be like, that. hi, I'm not, I'm, I'm closed. Sorry. Um, and so, uh, I, plenty of my clients have come right over the transom. Um, and then, you know, as an agent matures in their career, they get more referrals, you know, I'm an editor who say, Hey, I've got this really great person you should talk to, or your friends or your clients send you people. And then, so the referrals kind of take a little bit more weight than not weight in as they're more important but you just end up getting sent people because people want to work with you um and that's great and sometimes that that's the way that you build a whole list and it'll vary from agent to agent you know i i i will be opening for queries sometime this summer which you'll be able to hear you'll see that very clearly on our website at more website uh morehimeliterary.com or my twitter if twitter still exists then um, and my a newsletter, uh, which is just Kate McKean at substack.com. Um, it'll be very clear on the internet when I am open for queries. Um, and I'm not going to be able to take on a whole lot of people. I just, I don't have an assistant. I'm just a human. I only have so many hours in the day. And, but I, it feels weird to have not been open to queries for a long time. And, um, so they come from everywhere. They come from everywhere. When when you close, stop. when agents close to queries, is it simply because you've got so much material you're already dealing with? What what? Because I see people do that from time to time. What does that mean? Yeah, it can be a lot of different reasons, but really, it is like you know, too far behind in reading. Too much client stuff maybe came in all at the same time, and all of your clients are writing you know, four hundred page books at the same time, and you have to read them. Um, and, or something has come up in your life, you know, and you or, or have to pair back on work. Querying takes a, like reading queries takes a lot of time and we don't get paid for that time. I am only paid when I sell a book and by definition, those queries are unsold. So reading that, and I'm not, I, I'm not paid a salary. So I'm just doing that. 
you know, yeah. it is in preparation for future earnings, hopefully. The development, but yeah. Yeah. So it, and also the clients have to come first. So when I have too much client work, not too much, but when I have more client work, then it eats into the query work. Yeah. Yeah, it's a balancing act. You got a lot going on for sure. And I think that's, you know, that's always a good reminder that uh, they're not just taking our work. They're not just taking us on, right? It, it's a hustle on both sides of the book and, and both sides of the piece to keep it going and keep those relationships going, keep the writing good. And when you get a manuscript from a client, someone you have signed, do you work with them on it? Then again, are you, uh, in essence, the first reader and will you request editorial changes and so forth? Yeah, every, every book is different. Very few come in ready to go. Sometimes, maybe, sometimes that happens. Very, not really. And every, so every um, agent approaches editorial work differently. Um, they, some are really comfortable offering feedback, some are not. And you will know that going into it in a conversation mm. you have with the with an agent the first time I'm pretty hands-on editorially when a book needs it. And my goals editorially are to make it hard for the editor to say no, not make it perfect, ready to go to the printer because I don't have the time for that. I might not have the skills for that. Um, and I, and that could take three or four readings and I'm probably mm -hmm. doing one or two, at least per draft. So, um, I'm, I should be editing today. I'll also a book, um, that's probably my third read of. And we went back and forth on just, you know, and here's an, here's my editorial note. And then I got to this next one. I was like, okay, I need to write on this manuscript. I need to like make changes. And it's not just like, I don't copy it at all. Mm -hmm. That's not my skill set. Um, but like move this here. And why did you do that? And, and mm -hmm. um, all those kind of things to push the writer towards what I think the book can be. And we're going to wrap it up in a minute, but during that editorial process for you between you and the writer, how should the writer take that? If you're giving those kind of notes and you're saying, why did you do this? Or we need to switch this around. Is that a good thing? Does that mean you're engaged with the book and we're committed to the same thing? Do I take it personally? Is there ego involved in this from either side? I'm sure that there's ego involved on both sides, um, but probably not as much on mine because my goal is to to help create a book that exemplifies the author's goals. I don't need to make put my thumbprint on things. And a lot of times my questions are, I think this is what you're saying. Is that, am I getting it right? Mm. You know, like, did you mean this to do that? Or are we talking about this thing? And so a lot of times they're questions. And those questions lead the author to say, oh, wait, I meant to do that 20 pages ago you know, or things like that. And it's never a prescription. Um, I don't think I've, I, you know, I may have said once or twice, like, yeah, you know what? You can't do this in a book. And I think I did tell a client once that they couldn't kill the dog. Like oh, there was a dog, the and dog. Then they couldn't do it. Like, you can't. <laughs> this was a fantasy novel. They were like zombies or something. I cannot read and, like, a book where they kill the dog. I'm not kidding. No, I was like, you can't kill the dog. And I really <laughs> stood firmly on that. And I believe I was right. But if the author had said it has to happen or it will not be my book and i'm like okay I, it's not my book it's yours so uh, the author gets the final say and i if i have reservations i will tell them 
um, but yeah. it's their book. Writers, I just, you're going to get lots of feedback in your writing career if you last any time at all, you know, and some of it feels good and some of it doesn't. I'll tell you that. I've been on both sides of that. <laughs> but what Kate said, I think is so important. She said, I, I want the work to exemplify the author's goals. And we need to know what we're trying to do with the book or the article or whatever it is. And then get those people to help us get on that team. You know, writing initially is a solo prospect, but then if we're in the business of writing, it's never solo. The best books don't come out of that. It's time for what's in the desk. What do you have around you? Your favorite pen or coffee or computer or what do you need to write what do you need to agent um i have my trusty laptop on a stand nice. um because if i look down anymore the bones in my neck are going <laughs> to explode <laughs> for lovely repetitive stress injuries and i have a large monitor so i have two screens and i have a very ergonomic setup so that because of previous neck problems um, I have my very nice notebook that I bought in France the last time I was there because I nice. really like pretty notebooks. Um, I have a variety of pens. I do not have one favorite pen um, or what only one type of pen, but I switch it up. And then I have lots of fidget toys. I have right now playing with something called uh, thinking putty. Yeah, which is like silly putty. And I find it really helps me. Not when I'm writing, because usually I have both hands on the keyboard. But if I'm thinking or if I'm reading, I just need one. I also have a very clicky one that I'm not playing with right now because we are recording a podcast. Pops, um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have 100 pairs of glasses. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> You're my first uh, author on that ever talked about thinking putty. I think that's essential to write. I really nice. like it. That's like, cool. I have to... I first kind of stole some from my kid who got it in like a goodie bag and I was like oh guess what this was the mama now yeah. um and um yeah that's that's about it I don't I'm not super precious about my space I like I do need some like ergonomic accommodation sometimes that I can deal with it if, I, if I'm really you know writing on the fly um I don't need a certain kind of music a certain kind of day you have to be less precious about it because sometimes you just got to get 15 minutes in there or 45 if you're lucky or just that's how the work gets done yeah take it where you get it plop down and sometimes i even like that because if, if i think oh i only have 20 minutes and i know i'm done in 20 minutes you know I've... kate mckean is the vice president of the howard moorheim literary agency and she's a writer and she's got a great newsletter on substack if you want to know more about agenting and the business of writing look it up at agents and books kate where else can we find you and when remember she's closed to queries but how can we tune in and find you when you reopen i'm sure if twitter still exists i will be at kate underscore mckeon um it will be on moreheimliterary.com it will probably be on katemckeon.com it will probably be on katemckeon.substack.com <laughs> i will bless the internet with this information to make sure <laughs> that and i may even be on something like query manager or something like that and then you're gonna like have future. to step back because they'll come flying in yeah it'll be i have to clear my schedule for like a week to, to stop <laughs> the email dings from coming in well thank you for being here this has been really interesting and really uh educational i think we need to remember about the relationships that go on around the writing are there to help us too but we it helps us when we understand what it, what you need to do your job and why things are picked or not picked then we don't have to take it so personally
Thank you for listening to Simply Write with Polly on the Creators Network of Electrocast. We'll be back next week with more. In the meantime, you can connect with me on simplywrite.substack.com and join our writing community there. And you can also find me and links to my books. The newest is called You Recharge, and that's at pollycampbell.com. Until next week, writers, remember this quote by Winston Churchill, who said, perfecting and selling your writing is a lifelong task. So let's get started right now. Sit down and simply write. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.